people of you, but my name is John. Wait a minute, your name's John. How'd that happen? I don't know if there are more Johns in the room or Steve's or David's. No, there's just one David today, huh? Uh, I want to, first of all, tell you how happy Sherry and I and everybody else who serves here is to see you. But most of all, I want to tell you how happy your Heavenly Father is to see you. Yeah, we're really, 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 did I say really? Really glad that you're here today, and we hope that this day actually is one that you'll remember, that you'll maybe mark in your life history. Um, no, that's not hyperbole. We serve a really, really, really good God who likes to do really, really, really good things, and he's really, really, really in a good mood, especially today. Yeah, really. Um, I want to tell you, uh, I'm going to dispense with the announcements entirely today. And I'm going to tell you that there's a Facebook page out there called JC Family Connection. Stands for Joy Church, of course. JC Family Connection. Somebody, and if I can't find anybody better, I'll do it, will make a video and post it on the JC Family Connection page as to what today's announcements were. There's a lot of really good things coming up in the life of our faith community. And we're wide open to anybody who wants to come. And so if you decide to come to one of those things or participate, please bring someone. We don't care a bit how tatted up they are, how lost they are, or how perfect they are, or anything in between. We just love people. We really do. We really, really, really do. I need two more scripture readers to get around to enough people. Please, a little later, Albert and Steve, thank you so much. Um, now I need to go for all the time. Yeah, Kevin will be all over that. He's like radar on MASH. And I don't take him for granted. What a gift from God Kevin is, right? Everybody who knows Kevin, thank God for him. Instead of announcements, I want to tell you just a teeny bit about this church. It's 22 years old now. Um, and about three years ago, it changed government. And a little less than that, it changed it changed who was leading it. And then um, that was the fall of 2018. A, a very well-known apostolic, apostolic leader came September of 2018 and installed Sherry and me as as sent ones, as the Bible dictates. And so we were sent from a genuine family. Uh, of believers and leadership and and placed here but that was five years after we had been here so this is the eighth autumn that we have served here of the 22 years of the church's existence so we are in deep relationship with two covering uh, deep relational uh, ministries that are international so we're not just a bunch of strangers and lone rangers um, well a little strange we might be um, we do have a board of directors. We do have a constitution. We do have bylaws. We are a 501c3 organization and have been for decades. We do have real officers who do real things. <laughs> and uh, it's not a group that just rubber stamps whatever I want to do. In fact, they care for me. They care for me too much to let me have my own way. And they really, really look out for me and they really look out for you. So I, I, I think what I'm trying to say is is... We try very, 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 very hard 
to be a faith community that is very well balanced and strong theologically, governmentally, but also let the Holy Spirit do whatever He wants. Be spiritful because after all, He is the boss. We've planned out a service today. If you see a printed copy of our order of service today, it says very clearly on the top, here's our plan, but whatever Holy Spirit wants to do, it's His. Because after all, the Bible tells us that the head of the church is Jesus the Christ and Him only. It is not our church. This is Jesus' church. When somebody accuses me of of fishing in somebody else's pond or stealing uh, their sheep, I, I just say, I, I, I didn't know I had any sheep. I didn't know you had any sheep. They're all Jesus' sheep. So that that's... Is that enough of an introduction? Do you get some sense of who we are? Then I encourage you to do this. We've... We have a website, it's joychurch.life. A lot of what you want to know about who we are, where we came from, what we actually stand for, believe in, what our culture is, what our personality is, you can find us there, joychurch.life. Second, if you have questions, if you have concerns, even if you've attended here a long time, please don't, please do like the board of directors. This is just as much your church, even if it's the first time you've been here as it is ours, because it's Jesus' church. Period. End of story. I don't believe membership is in the Bible. You're a member of the body of Christ the second that you make Him the Lord of your life. There's only one church worldwide. The Bible says that. One church, one spirit, one baptism. You're it. I'm it. The the organizational structure of the kingdom of God looks like this. Jesus, everybody else, it's a straight line. There is no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. You are my equal. You are Sherry's equal and vice versa. So if you have questions, concerns, objections, don't agree, whatever, please, we're just not that hard to get a hold of. As our other people ask. Own the thing. It's yours. As much as it is mine. Having said all of that, that was a really dangerous, almost got off onto a preach right there. We're just super, super glad we're, that you're here. It's a privilege and an honor to be with you this morning. So, today's message. I'm so eager to give this message. If it's half as good coming out my mouth as it is in my head, it's going to be good. I don't know. I try to make, I try to make messages verbs. There's enough academia. You can get all the information that you want. I think Jesus is in the mood to change lives. I think he likes action. So I, I try to make message titles, and I try to make messages verbs. That's a verb. Navigate the narrow gate. Now, an overweight, white, middle-aged guy should not to try to rap. Holy Spirit says, nah. Nah. But you can go there if you want in your head. Navigate the narrow gate. Come on. Somebody, somebody strike a beat. You know, we live in some extraordinary times, right? Probably this morning even you wondered mask, no mask. Probably this morning you even wondered 
vaccinate or not vaccinate. Probably this morning or sometime this week you wondered, well, who's right? Dr. Fauci and that whole CDC and all those other people. And they say all those people that are in Clark County and even in Washoe County were now saying that the misinformation is actually a bigger risk than the then the virus is the virus. What? What? And then the, there's so much really, really good research out there that says, "Hey, no, no, no! The, don't believe this stuff. Don't believe. The, here's the real situation. Whatever you do, don't take the shot." And everybody else says, "Oh, for God's sake, take the shot! You're a criminal if you don't." And then there's the Democrats and the Republicans, and then there's the whatevers and the whatevers, and then there's the thises and the thats. And it's just, and then the crime rate is just going like crazy. The FBI just published that the homicide statistics are the highest they've been in 20 years. And divorces, altogether domestic violence is out of control in our county and in our city. And, 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 and you live in a crazy time. This is an extraordinary time. Now, I could tell you, and I'm not going to do that today. I usually do. I can tell you that it isn't comparatively as extraordinary as other times have been. But it is extraordinary. Would you agree? What you thought five years ago, two years ago, somebody pulled out the rug from under you. Is that true? Well, I, last I knew, extraordinary times called for extraordinary people. And extraordinary measures. I don't think your presence at this time is an accident. I happen to believe what the Bible says about when he created you and why he created you and when he manifested you with a lot of help from your mother. I I, I believe that you are living at this time for a reason. And the reason is that you are an extraordinary person made for this extraordinary time he is such a good god that's what he does the bible says that he knows the end from the beginning now we look at life as beginning middle and end not god he sees the end from the beginning he sees what's coming he knows what's ahead he has you right here right now to accomplish that end even if you don't know what it is that'll preach probably ought to just go home there was another extraordinary time and it was right around the time of the first century after jesus completed his public ministers ministry was uh brutally tortured mocked derided horribly killed stuck on a cross died was buried three days later resurrected 40 days roamed the earth with the disciples again in real life and then 10 days after that the Holy Spirit came in force just so you could be here this day to do the work he needs done one of our key phrases in our faith community is without God we can't without you without us he won't it's always partnership He needs us. Extraordinary people. People of the way. They didn't call them Christians back then. That word came into existence long, long after Jesus' public ministry and his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. 
They called them at the time. They mocked them, derided them, persecuted them, everything else. They called these crazy people like me people of the way. People of the way. And that's capitalized. The way. Which is a pretty good clue where we're headed with this message. The narrow gate. If God is indeed good, and if God is always good, you would think that God would want to recruit all the helpers he could. So I've heard the following question posed about this scripture, and we're going to go there in a minute. If Christ has made possible the salvation of all, why does he say the gate is narrow and few will find it? See, that very contradiction provides the crux of today's message. It doesn't make sense. It's dissonant. It's incongruous. And it's such a good question. You see, nine-tenths of learning how to be a person of the way is the question you ask, not the answer. The questions are more important than the answers because the Holy Spirit will answer the questions in due time. Context is everything with that question. Can we see slide two, please? Here's where we all, many of us, most of us, came up with that scripture. See old uh, Charlie Heston there on the right? The Ten Commandments. And some of us are old enough to remember that movie. Raise your hand if you're ancient. Or you've seen it. Nice. Well done. If you think I've... uh, uh, See, and he's got the... (laughs) He's got the tablets there. I've got a couple of jokes that are really funny, but they're inappropriate for this group. Uh, this this message was born of Matthew chapters 5 and 7, 5 through 7, three chapters in the Bible. The Sermon on the Mount, we come to that very often. You see, the Sermon on the Mount supersedes the First Testament. The Sermon on the Mount is very early in Jesus' ministry, And he kind of sums up the whole thing. It doesn't do away with the first covenant at all. It just upgrades it a whole bunch. The first covenant or the Old Testament still provides foundation. But everything about the Bible, everything about the Bible is all about the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us what's God really, 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 really like. What does he really, really, really think of me? Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? The entire Bible is the revelation of Jesus the Christ. You can find Jesus in every book of the Bible, and it's not that hard. And that's why they, that's why the Bible is even out there. So you can call Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Many theologians call it the Messianic Torah. How many have heard that word Torah before? Yeah, the law, the law. You can call it the constitution of the kingdom of God. Somebody who is born anew from above, somebody who truly has made Jesus their king and Lord, doesn't need to worry about the United States Constitution or communism or socialism or any other ism or any other ology because you serve a constitution written by the king. You serve a king. And the kingdom's constitution is far superior. You serve that, you ain't got no issues with all the others. Bad grammar, just true. I call Matthew chapters 5 through 7 the constitution 
of the kingdom of God. I call the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, and there's nine verses in there. I call that not the Bill of Rights, the Bill of Privileges. He tells us, he tells us in those verses exactly what the behavior looks like of someone who's caught it, someone who gets the goodness and the power and the authority of the king. So you can call Matthew 5 through 7 the Ten Commandments 2.0. Jesus himself said, it's right there in ink. I tried to match the color. I don't know how I did. If you think I've come to set aside the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets, you're mistaken. I have come to bring to perfection all that is or has been written. That's in Matthew chapter 5, early in the Sermon on the Mount. We making sense so far? That's amazing. Let's go to slide three. Rethinking what Jesus actually said. I'm tempted to ask you all to read this aloud, but I don't want to imprint it as it is, so I'll just read it. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it, enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I I think that's in the Passion Translation. I can't remember. I like the Passion Translation for a lot of reasons. Mostly because it's translated from the Aramaic language every place it can be. And that's the language that Jesus spoke. Now, take take a moment to ask yourself the context in which you first heard this message. Whenever I heard these words... And they were composed by Jesus the Christ himself. Almost without exception, they were embedded in the context of, here's some big words, of an evangelistic sermon describing the way of salvation that leads to eternal life. Now, in contrast, the way of destruction was identified as the road to hell. In that context, Jesus' warning sounds unequivocal. One, only Christians go to heaven. Two, very few will become Christians. And three, therefore, only a very few will go to heaven. The majority will choose the wide road that leads to destruction and eternal damnation. Ominous stuff. In fact, in the context of evangelistic preaching, Jesus prophesies hell for most of the world, and the elect will only be a small remnant who survive. I grew up in Montana, in a rural county in the southwestern portion of Montana that's famous for cattle, sheep, and hay. So if you did anything as a kid, you you, sprit, you, you you worked as an irrigator, you participated in brandings, and you worked cattle. At some point in time, you worked cattle. And there's a thing, whenever I heard this, it reminded me of this implement that we had in southwestern Montana called a squeeze chute. Anybody ever seen a squeeze chute? Well, I'm fixing to show you a video of one. It's two minutes long. You ready? Here, th- th- this is my tra- this is my illustration of that translation of the Bible. So, whenever you're ready, cut the lights and let's roll that video. Now, every one of these cattle represents a church person. Here comes the first one trying to get to heaven, and so we got to get in there. So here's what the preacher says, Sunday school says, the program says. You think you can go that way, but nope. 
You better read your Bible. You better tithe. You better follow the rules. Ah, you never made it. You didn't make it. Next one. Hey, I'd like to go to heaven, but nope. I spend too much time in the bar. I drink alcohol. Or I get tattoos. Or I lead a filthy lifestyle. Oh, if only I hadn't put my eyes on that other woman who's not my wife, I probably would have made it to heaven. But nope, I'm going straight to hell. Okay, again, I'm going to try it again. I'm going to go back to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do my morning devotion. I'm going to eat the right food. I'm going to do everything. Ugh. I got trapped by the law yet again. Wish I could go to heaven, but no, I'm in a squeeze shoot. I think I'll just kind of mosey in here. I've kind of half given up. I think I'll just forget the whole thing. Um, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just saunter my way into hell. I'm going there anyway. It's a lost cause. You kind of get the drift of this. Make up your own story about what happens to these critters, except for this one, because wide is the gate. And there's the grace message right there. It had nothing to do with getting squozed and which isn't even a word. It it has not it's by grace we are saved. So that's pretty much the gospel according to what you just or maybe I am the only one who ever heard those verses in this context. Unfortunately, the preachers who proclaimed this gospel had smuggled Christ's word into a new context, which is altogether foreign to the sermon in which it was first preached. In its original context, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus himself explicitly defines both the roads, which are two ways of life, and gates, which are two outcomes. Next slide, please. Here I go, we're not going to wrap again. Renovate in order to navigate the narrow gate. The two verses, 7, 13, and 14, in some Bibles there's even a heading between the two. (laughs) And you see 13 and 14 were unfortunately sliced off of 12. 7, 12. In everything you do, be careful to treat others in the same way you'd want them to treat you. For that is the essence of the teaching of the law and the prophets. Then it goes on to say that the narrow road is Jesus himself distilling, boiling down the entire First Testament, all the law and all the prophets to that, to one essential teaching. Here's what he says. He summarizes the law and the prophets by saying there's a narrow way. And here's what it is. Treat others as you want to be treated. That's right. The narrow way of the law and the prophets, the way that Jesus adopts and adapts is the Jesus way, is according to Jesus himself, none other than the golden rule you were taught in kindergarten. Well, at least many of you were. 
The narrow gate is the outcome of walking the narrow way or the Jesus way. And what is that outcome? Go read the verses yourself, please, with the Holy Spirit's help. The outcome is nothing to do with going to heaven or not. The outcome in this context, Jesus says, read it. It says the narrow way leads to life. Don't upload your eschatology into that word. It doesn't fit, doesn't belong. It has nothing to do with end times. That's what eschatology has to do with is studying end times. Jesus' abundant life starts now, not later, for those who want to live that way. The broad road includes the road most people choose. And here's the part that's going to sting a little bit. It's the road of selfishness and self-centeredness. That's the broad road. Instead of treating others as we'd like to be treated, most people are obsessed with their own welfare, looking out for number one. We're taught that from very early on. The wide gate is the ironic outcome of the broad way of self-seeking. What is the consequence of a selfish life? Devoid of sacrificial love, devoid of mercy, devoid of forgiveness, devoid of love, devoid of hospitality. Devoid of openness, devoid of love. I've said that three times now. Does Jesus say the broad path leads to hell? No, not in this context. No, he says the self way, instead of leading to hell, leads to self-destruction. Leads to destruction. He's not talking about being thrown into some medieval torture chamber. Jesus is speaking about something we see Every day. If you take one note, here it is. Self, selfish people, self-destruct. Selfish people, self-destruct. Selfish people, self-destruct. Their lives, their relationships, their vocations either suddenly implode or inexorably, big word meaning can't stop it, Decay before our eyes. Anybody know? Anybody watch? Somebody so self-involved over time, unwilling to change, see their life gradually decay. Relationships, work, jobs, financial well-being, habits. Self-involvement, self-defense, self-protection, self-interest, selfies my community, and more. Pretty soon, without realizing it, we begin to serve a God that we make in our own image. Yeah, if the way is the one I make it, then my God is what I paint him to be, which means I make God into my own image because it's self-interest. Well, and the next thing I do is I align with others who think like I do. And I throw rocks at those who hold different views. Can I tell you something? That right there is exactly what God calls idolatry. 
That's what idolatry actually is. And he hates it. He hates it. Why does he hate it? Because he's an angry, punishing God? No. No, that isn't why he hates it. He's a good God who's always good, who's never not good. He's, He's way better than you think he is at all times. He hates it because it makes, because it, because it makes his heart sick. He hates it because he had you as an idea before the foundations of the earth. He hates it because he has you here and now because you have a destiny. And he loves you more than you could ever possibly be loved by any human being, including yourself. He hates it because you're falling far short of what he has in mind for you. He hates it because it makes his heart hurt. He hates it because it's painful. That's why from the get, from the jump, he talked about make no idols. Can you imagine? I'm not, it's foolhardy to imagine ourselves as God, right? But many of us are parents or grandparents or have had parents. Can you imagine as a parent, well, the Holy Spirit just told me there are parents in this room who actually are experiencing this right now, so I need to tread very carefully. Is there anything more painful than watching our own child self-destruct, having a life gradually being destroyed as a result of their own hand and their own choices? Is there anything more painful than that? So, Holy Spirit, I'm saying, please minister to anybody in this room who is experiencing that now or ever has. Speak healing, speak restoration, because your word tells us that they will come home. Your word tells us that it's never too late. Your word tells us never, ever, ever, ever give up. Your word tells us that it's love, it's your loving kindness that helps people think differently, draws them unto repentance. So please fill each person up in this room with more of your loving kindness and more of a draw to your character, nature, personality, and scripture. That the very love, the magnetism of the love of God would draw those children closer to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Wide and narrow describe our choices. In this life, Jesus observes that the wide road, the most popular path, seems to be selfishness. (laughs) And the narrow road, the road less traveled, is the golden rule option. So he's talking about choices we make in this life and how they play out on the ground, not in the air and not underground, not in the spiritual realm. No, in the the touchable, tangible, real-life soul and flesh realm. In context, he's not talking about saying a contrived sinner's prayer so that you can avoid hell. He's talking about following him on his way, the narrow way, the Jesus way, the way of the cross. Big word, alert. That's right, the golden rule is the principle of the cruciform canonic life in Christ. Cruciform, cross-shaped. Canonic, self-giving, life in Christ, and only in Christ. Jesus didn't teach his disciples about the narrow way as congratulations for finding their way into his kingdom. 
No. <laughs> no, this was not an evangelistic message to people outside. No, this is the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to 12 disciples, and there's hundreds of people who are hangers-on because they've seen miracles. He's talking to his church. He's talking to his followers. They were directed, this is directed as warning, loving warning to his own followers. That's the context. Do, do you receive that? Does that make sense to you? Can I see some? Yeah. And if you're sleeping, it's okay. You needed the rest. Jesus is noting that the sad reality that even most Christians, yes, even those who will spend their eternity with him, nevertheless waste their lives on the popular highway of selfishness. After all, who really wants to opt into the life-giving experience of Christ's kingdom here now and coming? I mean, really. Not many, apparently, because love is hard. Love is. Anybody experience that? Loving unconditionally is hard. Because that joker didn't deserve it. And that sassy teenager didn't deserve it. And that rebellious so-and-so and that co-worker and especially that boss don't deserve it. And what that person did to me when they betrayed me and what that church did to me, the spiritual abuse I underwent, mm-mm, nope. Maybe you can do that. Too hard for me. Anybody ever experienced that? Sure, sure. That's why Jesus is so lovingly telling us this. Because the book of Hebrews tells us that he went through and experienced everything, every feeling, every physical malady that you and I ever will. (laughs) Listen, this is Matthew chapter 7. This is like, hmm, not even 10 minutes after Matthew chapter 5. When he says in Matthew chapter 5, If somebody slaps you right across the face, and there's a whole sermon there because right cheek, left cheek, it really, really, no, I'm serious. It really matters in the Jewish culture. It's fascinating. It's it's way more than what you think it is because God is way better than you think he is. (laughs) Forgiving is a bitter blow to the ego. It's death to the old self. Who wants that? Not many, according to Jesus, but it's exactly what he's going to do. Who will follow? So how did we miss this most basic teaching? I'm going to give you some bonus content today. How did we miss it? We missed it because of our habit of slicing the narrow way and the narrow gate teaching from its golden rule ethical context and replanting it with eschatological revivalist evangelicalism. For goodness sake, they were back-to-back sentences. How could we miss that? I'll show you. It has to do with black lines and breaks. Black lines and breaks. Some are good in the Bible. Not all are. Black line in the Bible. Does your Bible have a black line at the bottom of the page? And it has concordance references and it has cross references or a black line down the middle and it says, go here, do that. Here's the, and so forth and so forth. So you see, every one of those 
that's put in there was put in there by man. And every one of those that was put in there by man followed somebody else. There's really nothing new under the sun, says that right under right in Ecclesiastes. So here's the deal. Whoever were the, the, the Septuagint, the 70 who made the King James Version, uh, interpreted the manuscripts and the word this way, this way, this way, this way. And most translations stem from that. All the concordances, all the commentaries, all the everything you ever read, the big fat Bible, which there's nothing wrong with, follow on somebody else. And so if you find partial truth, you know, the Bible says that you got a great big huge ship, two football fields, three football fields long. If you just set the rudder one degree different, give it time. And the thing gets off course. Such can be the black lines in your Bible. Such can be. Our spiritual dad told us years ago, read above the black line. I'll get into that more in a second. Watch the black lines. Don't just take them hook, line, and sinker. Ask Holy Spirit. He's your constant companion. He will reveal. And it's your responsibility. We taught on that last week. The onus is on you, not the guy up front. What do I mean by verse numbers? Watch out. Watch out where they break the verses and watch out where they break the chapters and especially watch out for headings. You remember in your Bible, there's, there's always a section or there's a heading there that says, Hey, that's what, here's what this section's about. Yeah. Hmm. Man, watch those close. Don't always trust them again, hook, line, and sinker. Let me give you, I could go the rest of today, literally, on where those are amiss, awry, or just dead wrong. But I don't have time to do that, so I'm just going to give you one. It's Ephesians chapter 5. This one has caused massive trouble for generations in the church and beyond the church. Massive trouble. God's original institution was marriage. He builds everything in the kingdom from marriage and family. He could have put any institution he wanted to in first. He didn't in the garden. He put in, in Genesis chapter 2, he put in marriage. Everything is built upon marriage and the concept thereof. But in Ephesians chapter 5.22, it says, Wives... Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And there's a chapter, there's a section heading right above that that says wives and husbands or something like that in most of your Bibles, if not all of them. What's that? Yeah, then Pastor Jack said that? Yeah. So, um, not in their Bible. Cause that, cause it's Pastor Jack. He's somebody that we trust a lot, even though he's, never mind. <laughs> Who put that heading there? Not the Holy Ghost. There are two giant problems with that. The first one is, if there's to be a heading at all, it's in entirely the wrong place. It should be way earlier, because I just told you verse 22. What does verse 21 say? The one right before it, above the heading. It says, it says, depending on the translation, submitting one to another in reverence. I'm to revere her. She's to revere me mutually. It's supposed to be a contest in who can do the most for each other, who can lift. We don't, we don't, sometimes we do pretty good at that. A lot of times we fall a little short, me and her. You? 
Yeah, but it's mutual submission. It's mutual reverence. Number two, this was never written to anything having to do with marriage. This entire book is written to a church. It's how to grow and raise and run a church. Actually, a regional church in the city of Ephesus. This is directed to the church. He just uses marriage as a metaphor, as an illustration. Now, there's nothing wrong with building a marriage based on the book of Ephesians. You'll, you'll, you'll love it if you do. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it was, this is, yes, it's about wives and husbands, but it's not about wives and husbands. The context of this is everything. It's, it's to a church, corporate people who are taking a region for Christ, who are absolutely destroying the works of a horrible set of idols and enemies, the spirit of Artemis, the Greek god Diana. It's just an insidious, sick, toxic place, almost as bad as Reno. No, uh, <laughs> not as bad as Reno, but certainly as bad as Pahrump. <laughs> no, just kidding. It was a horrible place. And this was all about how to destroy the works of the enemy and manifest the kingdom of God. And he used marriage as a metaphor. So be careful of headings. There's a horrible chapter break at the end of Romans chapter 8. It should never break there at verse 37, 8, and 9. It should break at about 9, 4. It cuts off so much. And on and on and on and on and on. Read above the black line. Be leery of breaks. Verse breaks, chapter breaks, and be especially leery of headings. Ask Holy Spirit. I'm running low on time. I got to get moving. I can't just leave you with that. I, 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 I need to help you with Bible reading. So can we see the next slide? I hope you'll take a picture of this. If you want me to, I'll put it up on the JC Family Connection page. This is how to read the Bible. This is after decades and decades and decades of combined experience and in deep relationship with very well-known theologians. This is how I like to say it. Whenever you sit down to read the Bible, please, first and foremost, partner with Holy Spirit. That's what his job is. His job is to reveal Christ to you, to illuminate Christ to you, to show you what God's really like and what he really thinks of you and to show you. And he'll show you something different every time. He's, he's, he's a person. He will partner with you. Ask him to reveal, to illuminate Christ. Ask him to help you open your heart and mind to truth, to what the Bible really says. And again, read above the black line, question headings. And this is a method that's certainly not, that Sherry and I didn't invent, but we've taught it a number of times in a number of places, using the SOAP method. That same Ephesians book talks about washing with the water of the word and it's always good, especially in times of COVID, to wash with soap and water, or water and soap. So this is just an acronym, SOAP. And you can read it there. When you read the Bible, do your best to really, really get the meat of the Scripture. Do your best to observe 
Use your senses. Have the Holy Spirit help you. You can actually hear, see. You can make a movie or a video. You can actually sense. And sometimes, has anybody, is anybody in the room as weird as I am? Sometimes do you get a smell when you read the word, a pleasant smell? Or do you get a, a yeah? A couple heads nodding. So you can actually, the word is living and active. Well, it will actually, it will actually, I don't know what the right word is, prompt your senses, I guess. So, and then the, the A is application. What am I supposed to do with this? How am I supposed to make it live? How does, how does this pertain to me? Ask Holy Spirit, he'll help you. Or ask other people and then pray. You'll notice throughout all of those that I've, I've written down, and this is one I'm not very good at. Um, the, um, Sherry's husband's wife is way better at it than I am. Um, writing it down, journaling it. Can I just tell you that I've been talking about the Ten Commandments 2.0? Did you know there's a 3.0? It's in John chapter 13 and John chapter 15. At the Last Supper. I don't have time to tell you about that today. Maybe another day. But maybe go read it. There's a Ten Commandments 3.0. That's the eternal one. Anyway, so if the narrow gate is actually all about life and life more abundant, what's some better context? How do I put this into practice? What's the path? And for God's sake, how do I avoid that awful squeeze shoot thing? First, John the Beloved, John the Revelator, John the Apostle shows us what pulls us off the path, tells us where all temptation has its roots. Next slide, please. And here it is. First John 2, 15 through 17. Do not set the affections of your heart on this world or in loving the things of this world. The love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible for all that the world can offer us, the gratification of our flesh, lust of the flesh, the allurement of the things of the, I'm sorry, the lust of the flesh, the allurement of the things of the world, The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is what most translations say. All sin, or all temptation, can be found in those three areas. Wish I had time to tell you the context of the book of 1 John. None of these things come from the Father. Everything in the world is in the process of passing away. And those who love to do the will of God will, the will of the Father will, the will of the Father will live forever. That's what repentance is. We turn our minds, turn our existence, turn our thinking to that of the Father. So that's what pulls us off. Whole nother sermon, whole nother day. We could develop an entire week of seminars out of that. That's where your temptation is going to lie. What pulls you off? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, part of the life. That sums up the don'ts to watch out for. Here are some do's. And we're going to run about 10 minutes after the hour. So if you need to leave straight up at noon, that's okay. Actually, it'll be 15 after. Because we're going to do something else, too. So how about some do's? And again, I, I, we don't have time to develop all of that today. So I just wanted to give you the best summary scriptures I, that the Holy Spirit showed me for today. And it's from my, from my great, 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 great,
we tend to look at Peter as this as this saint to be revered. And many liturgical religions have made Peter into this saint, this major saint. They hold, they've named whole basilicas after him and that kind of thing. And they, they've, they've made Peter basically a small g god. But you know, my grandpa Peter, if you go really look at his life and you go really read what he says, he never saw himself that way. In fact, he was so humbled by his experience with Christ because he was such a screw-up and a liar and a fisherman who couldn't catch fish. He was, he was just a loser and a rough one at that who got radically transformed by the message I'm talking about today. And he ended up manifesting the kingdom all over South Asia by following the path. So insistent was Peter that on, that he was not to be revered. He insisted upon being crucified upside down. That's where the X comes from in church circles. Jesus rocked Peter's world. So that's my grandpa. Possibly a bigger screw up than I was or am. So I've asked some anointed people, because <laughs> everybody in here is anointed for something. I'm trying to work my way out of that hole. These are not special people. I just walked around with these slips of paper and asked people to read Bible verses. This is the do's. This is the sum up of the do's that Grandpa Peter told us how to go do to get on the path and stay there. You ready? First Peter, second Peter, chapter one, verses three through eleven. So who has verse one? I don't even know. Second Peter one three. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. What? Is God that good? Yes. How about reader number two, please? These are the do's. As a result of this, he has given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price, so that through the power of these tremendous promises, we can experience partnership with the divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desires that are of the world. Hmm. The broad the broad road. Reader number three. Next verse, please. Yes, wait for the mic because this is being recorded. So devote yourself to lavishly supplementing your faith with goodness, and to goodness add understanding. And to understanding add strength of self-control, and to self-control add patience, patient endurance, and to patient endurance add godliness. Godliness. Can I park on that one for just a second? Almost all your translations say that. And, and, and what it if you really look at, if you really dig up the source language, I'm going to keep this really short. It means God's nature. You can, you can, you can develop the nature of God within yourself. In fact, in the root language, in the source language, it actually can imply, can say, that when you're born anew from above, you become, this is in the Bible, of course, you become an entirely new creation. Right? 
New creation, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I've said for years that I really truly believe when that happens, something shifts in our DNA. Where I get that from, in part, is this verse. Because if you look it up in the source language, it actually says that, it actually, you can actually not make it read, it actually says that you, that you have God's DNA inside you, the Zoe life of God. And it says the same thing in John 10, 10. Life and life more abundant means the life, the nature of God inside you. You're not God, you never will be. Don't get that twisted. But you can have the very nature, the DNA of God in you. Godliness. Number Next reader, please. I have. And to understanding, add the strength of self-control. To self-control, add patient endurance. And to patient endurance, add godliness. Oh, did I repeat something? See, that's... Go read those verses. It's really awesome. How about number six? There's another one in there. Yeah. Second Peter one eight. Since these virtues are already planted deep within, and you possess them in abundant supply, they will keep you from being inactive or fruitless in your pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ more intimately. But if anyone lacks these things, he is blind, constantly closing his eyes to the mysteries of our faith, and forgetting his innocence, for his past sins have been washed away. For this reason, beloved ones, be eager to conform, validate that God has invited you to salvation and claims you as his own. If you do these things, you will never stumble. And finally. Oh, that's a repeat again. I did it again. Never mind. I'm so sorry. For this reason, it says, right? Same thing that Alicia just read. Okay. I apologize for that. I was in too big of a hurry and I didn't proof it adequately. Second Peter chapter one, verses three through 11, give you the headings, the bullet points on how we can find the narrow, the narrow way that leads through the narrow gate to navigate the narrow gate. And then we can develop everything from there. That's to when we teach discipleship, those are very commonly our core core verses. But I don't think that's good enough. I think you need some more actual, touchable, tangible, real live actions you can take. So that's the next slide. I'm going to send you out this morning with ready, set, go. First, resign as master of your universe. Based on results, so far, how's it working? Read Second Peter 1, 3 through 11 several times using the SOAP method, and I didn't expect you to memorize that. Here it is. You can take it home, stick it in your Bible, and this will walk you through it. There's a whole handout on how to read your Bible more effectively. It isn't the only way. There's lots of good ways, but this is just one good way. Take a long time. Come back to it every now and again. And really, really study Matthew chapters 5 through 7. This is your new constitution. I, I don't know how to say this more. I'll just try Holy Spirit help. Just put this in everybody. Way beyond my ability to convey it. Invest in communion. We have so cheapened communion over time. It's a deep, sacred, 
powerful thing to do that can light up the divine nature of Christ in you because what it does is it reactivates the Jesus that's inside you. This is one of my keys. I finally found someone to, that seemed to be living this way. Finally, it took me decades. But I finally found someone who was farther along the path, walking through the narrow gate, than I was. And I just began imitating him. Somebody who's farther down the path than you would imitate. That, I, I did it from a distance. I, they, were, they didn't even live in the same place I did. I just, well, I kind of stalked him a little bit. I kind of became a fanboy. And I'm really glad I did it. Double dog dare you to do the last one. A minimum of 10 times per day for the next hundred, for the next 10 days. Say like you mean it. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's just not about me. Here comes some offense or another. It's not about me. Here comes some memory of some old thing and how much I need to dispense justice. It's not about me. Here comes some Bible verse that doesn't make any sense to me and it doesn't fit my narrative or my mind. It's not about me. It's just not about me. It's just not about me. Ten times a day, ten days. Watch what happens. If you do more than 10 times a day, good on you. If you go more than 10 days, good on you. (laughs) But try this, 10 days. The younger you are, the more you should try it. Because old people, we don't need to repeat this because life teaches it to us. (laughs) I'm not the boss of anything. I'm kidding about that. Many people who get to be our age haven't learned this. And woe woe unto them because their life is decaying. It's just not about me. Okay? All right. Told you quarter after we're going to make it. I want to get you off on the right foot. Remember that fourth bullet point? Investing in communion. This morning I'm going to offer you the opportunity to do it like you never have before. I couldn't make up my mind whether to ask Holy Spirit to help me make up my mind. But whether to do this corporately, whether usher should serve you, whether Sherry and I should serve you, whether we should, you should do this individually. And you know, here's the deal. The narrow gate is yours. It's before you. The choices you make to walk the way are yours to make. It's a highly personal, highly individual choice. The book of Romans tells us there is therefore no condemnation in Christ. Nobody's looking at you. No, it's, it's, it's between you and the Holy Spirit of God. Whether you walk over there to that table and get your own communion elements, take them back, and if you're with somebody, maybe you're going to take it together, maybe you're not. But I just want you to do this in remembrance. Maybe you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Now's the time. Maybe you did a long time ago, and it's just been really, really tough in your you just would like to get back on the path. Maybe the narrow gate is extremely compelling to you. Whatever the case, if you just simply want to reactivate or activate Jesus in you, and if you want, if you truly, truly, truly are willing to surrender to the point that you need to in order to attain intimate relationship with God, hope, joy, peace, authority, power, 
It's just your choice. And we're going to play a video that I think speaks to the moment. And it takes about a little over four minutes, I think it is, just to let you do business with Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, what are you showing me? The communion elements are right over there in those plates. It's not up. It doesn't matter to me whether you come and get that and take of it or not. It matters a lot to Abba. And if you don't, you know what he says? They could have gone the direct path. Now they're taking the scenic route. That's okay. I'm still with them. I still love them. I will not forsake them. I will not leave them. But I'd love it if you took the direct path because I so love you. So do business with Holy Spirit. Just let the song minister to you. Take communion when you and whoever you're with feel it's right.
I just send you today with two things. First, let me encourage you. The JC Family Connection Facebook page is a private page. Just go ask to join, and we'll get you approved right away, and we'll have announcements up there. I think I will go ahead and put these slides up on that page, too. Okay? Number two, remember that if you want to know more about who we are, what we're like, joychurch.life. Third and most important, God is way better than you think he is. He just is. It's been an honor and a privilege to worship with you today. Thank you for allowing us to serve you. We hope we get to again. Have a great rest of your beautiful Sunday. Enjoy this October weather.